0: Welcome to the Get Sub Brazilian podcast. I'm Gar O'Hara, and today is our monthly news roundup. Co-host Dan McDermott will take us through the episode. And as is tradition, he and I start with some reflections on the guests and our learnings from each interview this month. Regular guest Bradley Singh then joins Dan to cover the latest news where they talk about cosmic links. And that's an interesting step change in the world of business email compromise. Some new flavors of strategies in the attacks there and some pretty hefty ransoms being chased. The ATO scams, yes it is that time of year and sure as death and taxes are the scams that come at tax time. The guys run us through what they're seeing this year. Then we have Australia's ranking, highly on the list you probably don't want to rank highly on. The Centre for Strategic and International Studies looked at the most hacked countries with Australia coming in joint sixth place. And then WA had the content of its pager system exposed by a person under 16, so that was a bit of a horror story which the guys will talk us through. And then we finish out the episode with Dan and I covering the big Twitter story, which hit the news mid-July. And outside the attack, it's obviously worrying given what Twitter has become, which is really a utility for communications and also given who uses it to communicate. So over to the episode and please enjoy. Hi, Brad.
1: Welcome back to the Get Cyber Resilience Show. Um, our opportunity to review the month that was of July in the world of uh, cyber in Australia and New Zealand. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me, Dan. Not a problem. uh, I thought we'd start this month by looking at a high-profile attack that's been in the news lately, um, a Russian-based cyber gang called Cosmic Links, who have uh, targeted many multinational organizations across a number of countries um, using business email compromise. What can you tell us about Cosmic Links and their, their attacks?
2: Yeah. Yeah, Dan, Cosmic Linux, it's definitely been a name which has been making the news recently. Um, and I hadn't actually heard anything about them till well, this recent news story. Um, interesting thing about the group is they're based out of Russia, which we know. Um, they employ a, quite a common tactic, which is utilizing impersonation emails or BEC fraud as it's more commonly known. Now, there's nothing new about impersonation emails or effectively pretending to be someone important and asking for payment. Uh, I think we've seen heaps of examples of hackers utilising free mail providers, usually after smaller forms of payment, uh, maybe iTunes gift cards. I think the I believe the average sum of of, uh, of money that hackers are after is about fifty-five thousand dollars for for your average BC fraud. The interesting thing about the Cosmic Link scale or campaign, I guess I should say, is that. They were targeting, um, well, the average dollar amount was 1.27 million. Um, so we're talking a large amount, like large, large, larger amounts of money, but also in terms of the, the profile uh, of the victims as well. We're not small, talking small e commerce websites or small businesses. We're talking large multinational organizations that probably more so fit into your Fortune 500 or potentially even the Global 2000 category.
1: And how is it that they are, uh, what were they doing that made this attack, I guess, rather unique and, and seems to be quite successful?
2: Well, there's a few things there, right? So you've got the one fact where email by itself is not secure, right? So um, it's very easy to effectively impersonate or spoof or pretend to be someone. So in terms of fixing that, we came out with things like SPF, DKIM, and DMARC. Now, it's a great standard, which a lot of companies around the world use. And I think um, all, all agencies in America, as an, federal agencies in America as a standard have to use it. And DMARC adoption is something that we, we talk about a lot and, and that we're trying to push. But the interesting thing about these organizations is they weren't using DMARC. So the fact is that they're not using this standard around traditional email security um, effectively means they're open to this type of spoofing. But then when we look at the attacks themselves, it's impersonation attack or BC fraud on steroids because you've got one company which is effectively pretending to be which is the initial company saying, hey, we want to engage in some type of M&A, merger merger and acquisition, which is very common in multinationals, right? Um, What they then do is they then direct the victim company to talk to um, their external counsel. And that external counsel happens to be a very well-known law brand or identity, um, someone with a good reputation, but also happens to be the hacker as well. So, I mean, it makes sense, right? If the the first stage of impersonation or BC fraud was, we'll start with um, impersonating one person, why not impersonate two, three, five, six, seven? Like, where does it stop?
1: And this notion of sort of dual impersonation or multiple impersonations, is this something new or something that we've seen before?
2: I don't think it's like, it, the concept has definitely existed in, and it, it goes back to uh, just social engineering as a whole and, and the evolution we've seen as that in the, in the industry. And if we think about the the Russians in, in terms of how them as, I guess, a, a group of hackers or, 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 or the way they've hacked in the past, they've traditionally relied on malware campaigns, large amounts of virus signatures, like they're very traditional kind of, let's, hey, let's automate stuff, script kitty it, send it out en masse. But this is an attack where they've Done a very like lots of research onto the targets. Um, they've used social engineering to to you know, get large amounts of money, including Australian businesses as well. I'll have you have you note. Know, sorry, keep that in mind. Um, but if if we think about, I guess the Russians and or not even the Russians as a whole, but countries these days and how they influence politics via social platforms potentially interfering with elections as an example, maybe the success we've seen of of nations influencing social platforms is now starting to translate in terms of how they make money via hacking or gaining illicit funds. Yeah, you know, certainly uh, a lot of research and time has gone into it, and
1: uh, and obviously uh, you know from their perspective it, it's paid dividends. But we certainly hope that uh, we're able to you know stay protected um, and not fall victim uh, for local companies you know making the headlines for the wrong reason of uh, of falling for this. But certainly some good advice there on around how do we uh, how do we protect ourselves and, and up level our I guess our cybersecurity approaches and use the standards that are available in order to uh, to look to stopping some of these. The next item I thought we'd uh, talk about is we've obviously we've gone into July, ended one financial year and into a, the new one, um, so it's it's tax season um, has started and the and the scammers are, are out on on force. Um, what can you tell us about sort of the scams that are happening at the moment, at ta- targeting
2: people around tax time? It's tax time, like you said, Dan. It's tax time scam time. Um, it's that time of year where we have to go and do our taxes, which reminds me I have to do mine probably last year's as well, but that's a separate separate matter. Um, it's the time of year when we're, we're, we're going online, we're going to MindGov, we're interacting with that, and hackers are crafting a bunch of fake websites out there and targeting Australians. But what's significant about this is that this is also, I think, the first time we've ever had this many Australians try to access critical services over the internet. Um, we saw the lines at Centrelink at the, at the start of the pandemic, and... Um, Obviously now it's you know where I'm based in Melbourne, you're based in Melbourne Down. Like we can't go outside if, if we need access to uh, central services or sorry critical services provided by the government. We have to do it via MyGov. And what I think is really unfortunate about this as well is that the, the people it's targeting are the most vulnerable, they're the people who have lost their jobs recently or you know they're out of employment and they're trying to get access to, to you know public services. So. It's really unfortunate. I just, you know, if anyone listening there just, you know, just be visible for this stuff. Um it seems very obvious to us, but I think um, it is something which is an also very unfortunately, you know, can be successful a lot of the times and you might also not know the consequences of falling victim to one of these scams until a lot later because it might not always de- uh, lead to direct financial loss straight away, but it could lead to identity theft or fraud down mm-hmm. the down, down down the line which will just cause you problems.
1: Yeah, very good point. It's also, they use multiple sort of communication channels, right? I mean, we see the emails obviously coming through, there's SMSs. um, They even, you know, try, you know, calling you over the phone and try to get your information that way. So uh, you've got to be aware, I guess, on all fronts on this one as well, um, because it seems pretty unrelenting for a period of time, like you say, during this sort of a tax season.
2: I nearly, nearly picked picked up the one the other day. Like, you know, we're all working from home. I've got an authenticator for every single application for work, personal use, and, and you know, so I'm logging into VPNs, I'm interacting with my phone, <laughs> clicking on things, and I, I got something about uh, a power bill from Origin, and I literally nearly clicked it. And, you know, I'm someone who I believe, you know, I, I like to think I practice pretty good cybersecurity in general, but <laughs> when we're all sitting there and we have information flying at us from different directions, it can be very easy to fall for, for one of these attacks. Mm, yeah, no, it's definitely one to be on the lookout for, for sure.
1: And I think one of the other things that we've seen uh, recently was a study by uh, the Centre for Strategic and International Studies um, released a report around countries and who's been the most attacked countries um, in the last sort of 15 years. And um, and well done to us. We uh, we ranked sixth on the, in, the, in the world scale. So uh, what can you tell us about like being six on the list of uh, most attacked nations in the world.
2: Well, it's certainly something to be proud of, I guess. We're right up there with uh, the Ukraine, which is a country going through civil war. Iran's just below us as well, which has suffered quite a lot of uh, large-scale of attacks due to um, their nuclear program. So, I'd say number six is a a good effort for Australia.
1: It is. uh, It's it's incredibly high, really, when you do consider, I guess, you know, you know, where we would probably consider ourselves on the global scale or on, in other factors. Um, why do you think it is that, like, we are so heavily targeted?
2: Well, there's a few things there, right? So, I think Australia as a whole, we've got very – we're a very developed uh, economy. Uh, we've got a very high GDP, um, great infrastructure. There's a lot of good things going for Australia, which also makes us a very high-value target as well. Um You've also got, um, I guess, a lot of different political factors at play as well in terms of of, of who we align to. Um, and the, the report itself that, that you're referring to, um, the one from the Centre for Strategic and International Studies, it's actually a recurring kind of thing they've been doing since 2006 where... They effectively just log all large known cybersecurity incidents uh, related to nation states. Um, and it's really interesting because, you know, Australia has been on the receiving and the offensive side in, in, in this report as well, which is you know, absolutely fascinating. Um, but what I think we're starting to see is that a continued attack against Australia. And some of the ones in there highlighted are the Australian National University breach, which we saw um, towards the kind of uh, tail end of last year, uh, as well as some of the more ho- high profile breaches as well.
1: Yes, and I think uh, it all ties in, I guess, to, you know, the, the government's announcement and plans from over the last month regarding, you know, the attacks on critical infrastructure um, on government assets um, and how we do need to bolster our, our cyber security as a nation overall and I think this just speaks volumes to that that this clearly highlights that you know if we are that highly ranked we are that targeted um we need to ensure that we're doing our part to uh to protect our businesses protect our governments and our citizens otherwise uh these things will continue to occur and you know we certainly don't want to go up the scale um we're not looking for a podium finish on this one that's for
2: sure. <laughs> we definitely we definitely definitely don't want to be number 1 and i guess just just on that as well like the uh, The the, the stance from the government in terms of, you know, announcing extra cybersecurity funding, like, I guess this is kind of the the evidence, if you will, in terms of of why it's such a big thing. Um, Mm -hmm. But look, I I think think watch this space, like, I was reading a news article today of um, the HMAS Canberra, which is our flagship um, aircraft pseudo-helicopter of the the Royal Australian Navy and it, you know, almost skirmished with some Chinese Navy frigates, but... I think it's uh, safe to say, based on this report, you know there is another greater cyber warfare going on, uh, just one we can't see as easy. Mm,
1: very true. And in this time of, uh, of the pandemic that we're, we're living through, um, we've all become very aware, I guess, of, of health records and health information and that. And unfortunately, we saw uh, recently in Western Australia that uh, a teenager hacked into, of all things, a pager system um, and... And actually, was able to intercept confidential health department records, and was able to then publish those online. Um, what can you tell us about uh, this teenager in the West hacking a pager system?
2: I think first off, let's just um, talk about the, the teenager. That's um, that's a that's a very interesting effort uh, in terms of, I guess, him. And it was really interesting in terms of the response. So the police were involved. I don't believe any charges have been laid or anything to that effect. I don't think any. Confidential or sensitive information was allegedly misused, um, but in terms of the individual themselves, like the ability, I guess, for a young person to go online and effectively break into what should be a secure network and a bunch of confidential information is—it's not a story we. we <laughs> unfortunately, or fortunately, it's a story we've heard many times, and, and it's been the origins of, of many of many great people in technology these days themselves. So, I mean. It, Probably not the the, the the correct method in terms of um, going about that type of penetration testing, if you will. Um, but I'd say if, if that you know if that, that that young Australian wants a career in cybersecurity one day, if they um if they go by the correct route, um they definitely have a have a future. Yeah,
1: for sure. I think that's right. Uh, certainly one one to keep an eye on if we can get their ethics right from a uh, from a, from a skills shortage and skill perspective.
2: In terms of the the actual hack itself, so pages, like I, you know, you kind of introduced it with pages, and I was thinking to myself, why, why do they use pages? Like, isn't pages an antiquated technology? Something we've been using, you know, for over thirty years, or we shouldn't use anymore. But I found out that pages are still quite heavily used in hospitals. Do you, do you know that, Dan? It is something
1: that is used across sort of yeah different different uh, health departments and uh, and even in sort of. Um, protecting sort of vulnerable um, citizens and services and that type of thing as well. Um, Yeah. It's it's amazing that it continues to be used. You sort of think it is something that uh, sort of maybe died off in the 90s.
2: Well, the reason is they can't get rid of it apparently. So it's very hard. So, uh, which effectively, because of all the the medical imaging and scanning equipment, you just can't use a cell phone effectively in a hospital. So, for a doctor to get a message out to all their staff, if there's you know we need to get to this theatre operating room one or emergency section two, um, pages is what they've been using for for, for forever. Um, and there is talk about moving to more secure messaging apps. And the really interesting thing about this breach as well is that if we think about WA Health, who they are—they're a government department of forty-four thousand. Um, they actually—they're the, they're the largest, um, <laughs> the largest single health authority by area, just given the nature size of Western Australia as well. So they're a very large enterprise organisation, if you will. They've been relying on this deprecated pager service, which Vodafone have been offering for a very long time, and even Vodafone recommended they get off of it, um, but it just goes to show that I guess the reliance on technology and old processes that a lot of businesses yeah, still have. And I think that's the thing using, you know, as we layer in
1: technology over the years, right, and how our networks, our systems become more and more complicated, um, but they can leave, you know, vulnerabilities from, you know, those past sort of technologies that are still there and critical, as you say, as part of delivering services. And certainly I think we've all, uh, we've all watched... Uh, ER or similar shows where uh, the pager goes off and uh, and everyone has to uh, rush to theatre. So it's um, it, you know, we certainly see it through uh, through I guess popular media as well.
2: Well, what's going to be in a pager anyway? Like I was thinking about it. So I looked it up. You can only have sixteen numbers or one hundred and twenty eight characters, depending on what type of page you have. So can't really think of what information would be would be leaked in there. Yeah, it's
1: the, the, the oh. The old, uh, the old way of doing Twitter, um, just to be a, <laughs> a smaller base. So. Terrific. Well, uh, thanks, Brad. I think that covers uh, the month in July in terms of the review um, and really looking back across what's occurred from from the our Russian gang um, through to the tax scams, um, our our rise in in up the ranks of being a, a, an attacked nation. And you know, ending on that, uh, that health record data breach uh, from the teenager in WA. So uh, thanks for covering all of that. Look forward to uh, speaking again um, in a few weeks' time when we uh, when we go live with the Gets Up Resilient podcast um, on the 18th of April. So uh, look forward to uh, having you part of that then.
2: Thanks for having me, Dan.
1: Hey, Garra. Uh, Thanks for having me back on the Get Cyber Resilient show. Uh, terrific to be able to look back at the guests you've had on the show over the past month. Um, yet again, an a, a A-list set of, uh, of people that you've interviewed.
0: Yeah, I always feel uh, lucky. It's probably the word that pops into my head when I think about it. Um, just the the openness, the people giving their time. And as you say, they're, um, yeah, there's some pretty interesting characters and in, in doing interesting and important things in cybersecurity. So yeah, it's, I think it's been a pretty good month. Definitely. You
1: started off the month with uh, Prescott Pym from Verizon uh, and looking at their data breach report. I think that, you know, there's a lot of these reports available in the market now. Um, Us at Mimecast produced one, the CrowdStrike one that you covered recently as well. But I'd say the the seminal report and, you know, the one that's probably been the most long standing is the Verizon data breach report. What were you able to cover with Prescott from that?
0: Yeah, it's so it's a pretty hectic report, right? It's 119 pages. So the the reality is, we we barely skimmed the treetops of it, and um, and even then, I think it was a pretty interesting conversation. Um, It's it's the thirteenth year of that report, and you know, as you said, it's the one that I think there's barely a cybersecurity talk that goes by where at least one staff from the DBIO isn't on a screen or part of a chart or something. So. It's got that kind of, uh, yeah, it's got that kind of pedigree in the cybersecurity industry. And mm. um, interestingly, this year, we've got um, the AFP and the government of Victoria contributing, which I think is a kind of a nice evolution. And um, and look, Prescott is, you know, he's a pretty seasoned veteran of the cybersecurity world. He runs the uh, SOC for Verizon and kind of looks after a lot of governments, but kind of other kind of customers here in the APAC region. Um, and they actively use the data out of the reports um, for their operations. Lots lots of kind of interesting little points in there, you know, things that, to be honest with you, I I was surprised by, um, things around the location of attackers versus the uh, attackee, and how often that actually is in the same country. You know, when when I think of attackers, I'm, you know, I'm guilty of the programming that happens in our industry, where you know, I picture the faceless hoodie person in a basement in some exotic country, but actually. Um, you know, the report actually points out that it's, it's quite often in the same country and it's probably much more boring. They're probably sitting in a local coffee shop and looking exactly like we do. And so, yeah, <laughs> that was interesting. And um, things of, you know, and we look, we talk about this in the industry, how often, you know, everyone's looking for the crazy, exciting new thing. But actually quite often what it is, is the tried and trusted methods that just work and they're vanilla, you know, they're bread and butter. But actually they just they work consistently. So that's what the attackers go for and they're. Report data definitely seem to reflect that. Um, and there's a really nice breakout for APAC data as well. So highly recommend, um, although you don't need to say that in cybersecurity, right? You don't. No one recommends looking at the DBI or everyone does it anyway. But um, yeah, it's it's a cracking report. And I think the episode for me anyway, I'm always looking for ways to uh, quickly digest a lot of information. So for me, it was a good way to talk to Prescott and just get it straight from him. You know, what what's the stuff of the report that we need to know? Yeah, definitely, and uh, and after Prescott,
1: uh, we moved on to having Chirag uh, Joshi join uh, the podcast, and Chirag, uh, great guy, um, and uh, has you know recently uh, moved uh, onto AMP um, to lead their their cybersecurity uh, practice. Um, we wish him all the best with that, but he's uh you know he's really taken to heart around sort of the notion of driving awareness and, and behavioral change. Um, in organisations and how you know it really is the human factor that uh, that needs to be addressed and as that last line of defence and is the critical you know I guess factor in being able to you know create better defence and security practices. He's gone to the extent of writing a book around the seven rules to influence behaviour and win at cyber security awareness. Um, what did you what did you learn from your conversation with
0: Yeah. Yeah, he, he's an energetic guy is the the main thing about Shirag. And I think it's infectious. Like he's really into what he does and it's reflected in the writing. Um, you know, if you've, if you've read the book, which is pretty solid and uh, also, you know, how he kind of kind of talks through these things. And um, I met him years ago, actually at a, a conference, we ended up chatting after I think I'd given a talk and, um, you know, the, that thing where you're just having a yarn with somebody afterwards. And he was just a really, as you say, like just a very s- sort of switched on sharp guy, really interesting. And, um, and he's one of those guys who who do that rare thing, or maybe not so rare in cybersecurity, but they they manage to have a foot in the sort of heavily technical, you know, detailed understanding of what the the the, the you know what makes the sausages, and um, but also yeah. then is able to kind of straddle into the the human side of things and understanding some of that psychology and behavioural change stuff, which has become critical in awareness training or cybersecurity awareness behaviour change, whatever way you want to call it. Um, and we talked through a lot of stuff, you know, for him, um, he's obviously written, he's written the book on, um, you know, how to influence cyber uh, security behaviors. So, you know, there's a lot in there. And um, things like, you know, the reliance on bad news, which, you know, I think you and I have talked about and, you know, that it sort of doesn't work. You need to, you know, use positive motivators, find out, um, you know, what are the, the positive buttons you can push with people to really kind of influence and change behavior. Um, things like the importance of context, the allies in the organization. And it, I think that was a really interesting one because quite often we just think about, uh, well, certainly I think about it, you know, programs for awareness training in isolation, almost as siloed entities that run in and of themselves. But actually you need buy-in from lots of different parts of the organization and allies within the org to make those things work. So he was pretty good at calling that out. Um, actually call back to the, you know, the smart goal approach from the, uh, I think, I mean, it's supposed to be around from the, like the early 80s You know everybody knows it. Um but it overlays actually quite well with cyber awareness, and, and he called that out as well. So that that kind of stuff, um, and things like persistence and consistency um, in terms of the the programs. You know, they need to be persistent in that you're not going to run out one video or run one sort of inst- uh, instructor-led training session, and then you know magically everything's better. Um, it needs to be persistent, and it needs to be consistent in messaging, with the context of the organization taken into account, with the and with the support of, of senior management. So it's like a really rich conversation in my mind um, on something that's it's just so topical. I think everybody we talk to at the moment has some interest in how do I fix this problem of the end users. Yeah, and then like you say, I think he, his
1: advice, the the book, and the way that he sort of presents on it is fantastic, and um, it is quite inspiring to sort of think through that, and and really does, I think, address the issue of it being cultural change, and that's where you know those champions and everything else has to come into it. It's not just it's not just awareness, and it's not just the training, right? It is actually. Changing behavior is the hard part, um, and it takes, you know, many efforts over a long period of time to do that. And I think, you know, he sums that up in spades, which is great. The last guest for this month was uh, was from Netscope, Mike Ferguson, um, that you had a, a chat to um, around creating a sassy cybersecurity organization.
0: Um, sassy, that sounds pretty interesting. Yeah, it, it, it is. Um, look, I'll be honest with you. It's, it's been one of those ones that for me has been pretty confusing. I, I had a chat with a Gartner analyst. It's a couple of years ago, actually, and um, in you know the one-to-ones that we do. Um, actually, I think you were there. I think you were actually part of that conversation, and you probably remember this. You know, the guy mentioning Sassy, and I think you and I looked at each other and kind of went, "What? <laughs> um, is this guy making a pass at us, or what? You know, what's going on here?" Um, but he went on to explain this idea of secure access service edge you know, to give it its, its full title. So it's, you know, S-A-S-E. And I'll be honest with you, it's one of those ideas or concepts that have, it's kind of been batting around in the back of my head. And I, talking to Mike, who I've known for years, I, you know, he's a, actually a personal friend outside of the cyber world. Um, I knew him before either of us were doing what we do. Um, or Fergo is actually how you know he's he's better known certainly in the cybersecurity industry, um, but it was it was actually great to sit down with somebody from a company like Netscope and um, talk through this stuff. Mike, uh, for those who are listening, does great explainer videos on LinkedIn um, that breaks down the ideas and the concepts of SASE in a, a pretty, for me anyway, it was an easy to consume way. I actually watched a bunch of his videos before we we did the interview, um, but it's a really big concept and. Um, actually, Tom Cross is the CTO over at Opac. Yeah, for me, it was one of the better descriptions, which is the idea that security comes to the traffic rather than tr- the traffic going to security. Um, so yeah, Mike um, really got into it. You know, it's a big idea, lots of different moving parts. Um, what we kind of try to focus on was some of the material outcomes for a business uh, rather than just the technical stuff, um, like the explanation of what actually SASE is beyond it being a Gartner term. Um, some of the interesting stuff to me was cannibalizing the performance of ticket that you can get with a sassy architecture, and then using that as a way to apply security to uh, applications and, and traffic. And so we we use this uh, the analogy of if you're going to the pub and you're getting an Uber versus um, getting public transport. You know, if you get the Uber, you got more time in the pub to have like really lovely cocktails and beers. Uh, versus, you know, if the traffic is slow, i.e. you're getting a getting a bus than a ferry and a train you've got less time in the pub so less time to actually do the cool stuff and, and that's kind of how I started thinking about um, some of the stuff that you could get from a sassy approach but you know, it's all about performance protection um, and I think particularly pertinent giving uh, you yeah, know the COVID world that we're living in at the moment the massive transformations and move into uh, cloud-first architectures and, and securing traffic Um uh, you know, as in the bringing the security to the traffic rather than the other way around, which I think presents problems when you're not uh, in a perimeter-based security model anymore. Mm. Now, definitely a big concept, and uh,
1: certainly, uh, you know, part of that was ringing very true on uh, being based in Melbourne and in lockdown two. zero uh, Going to the pub is just a pipe dream at the moment, so uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's, unfortunately, something we can't partake in. But um I think again it's just, you know, thanks to, to all the guests. Um they add so much value um and share so openly with us uh what their what their thoughts are and what they're seeing across the industry. Um and hopefully everybody finds that really educational. And again, looking forward to some exciting guests coming up uh for August as well, which uh which will be great. So uh thanks again, Gar, and uh, we'll speak shortly. Uh I thought we'd end this month's uh, conversation looking at probably the most high-profile attack of recent times, um, that have been the, the Twitter hack. What can you tell us about what's going on here and the impersonation of uh, some well-known people?
0: Ooh, yeah, this this is a whopper. Um, you always know it's big when it's, it's the story that hits the mainstream media before it hits the cybersecurity media. And uh, <laughs> uh, that was definitely the case here. Um, and the big names, right? You know, it's Joe Biden, um, President Barack Obama, uh, Bill Gates, Elon Musk was the first one to get popped, um, and we had the honor of seeing Kanye West and uh, guys like that also get uh, get their cans taken over. Um, pretty hectic. I mean, the, the the interesting thing is that the attack netted the the attackers less than one hundred twenty grand, so it wasn't really that lucrative. Um, but I suspect maybe that wasn't the, the motivation. I think the big thing for me is the questions, the huge questions this rages around um, what, what sort of Twitter is and maybe Facebook to a certain extent, you know, what they have become, uh, which is really utilities for communication and, and their private enterprises, their private companies. But they're in this weird position where their platforms have a direct effect on the resilience of nations, of, you know, political systems and potentially of companies, Um, you know, if you think about what was done here, um, and if if I'm an organization and I'm looking at resilience outside, you know, we we talk about cybersecurity a lot, but outside of that, you know, the the sort of organizational resilience, if, um, you know, Elon Musk's account got hacked, um, but it could have been anybody. If I'm an attacker and I've sort of flew a little bit lower and slower, what's to say I don't buy a bunch of stock in, in one of these companies? Send out a you know an inflammatory tweet, something that's going to spiral a stock price down, and um, you know if I've short sold or I've got short contracts in that I'm you know starting to make a ton of money, or vice versa I might make a tweet that says something really positive that sends the, the stock in a different direction. Um, so there's a whole heap of things here that would have me worried, and one of them is the um, it, look in in sort of security operations. There's a very basic concept which is the separation of duties. So it's the idea that. Um, a single person shouldn't really be able to do, you know, an uh, an action or do anything that puts a company or data at risk in a in a meaningful way. And in this case, I'm not saying that there wasn't that in place because there could have been, um, but something's gone dramatically wrong. You know, if you see those accounts being taken over in the way they were, and um, it, it turns out it was basically what seems like internal tools for the, what they call the OG accounts, the you know, those original accounts that people got before Twitter became what Twitter is today. Um, so, you know, being able to transfer those, you need the tools to be able to do those transfers um, and you need tools to be able to manage, you know, at a, at a platform level accounts that are belonging to Elon Musk or Bill Gates or Michael Bloomberg, et cetera. Um, but the questions then arise, like, what are the implications there? You've got a tool that is essentially used as a communications platform by people like Trump the you know the 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 implications to a society's resilience to organizational resilience are pretty big in my my opinion like it's a it's it goes beyond a cybersecurity attack and into something that you know it should be a concern for societies i would say and you know that has been raised i believe by some of the politicians over in the u.s so yeah interesting to see where this one goes yeah and uh What's your take on it being,
1: you know, was it a malicious insider? What, you know, was it somebody on the inside that's, you know, really orchestrated this?
0: So according to Twitter, um, it was actually social engineering that happens for multiple people. And, you know, that that potentially could be lots of different things. You know, the the term social engineering is so broad. You know, is that an email that was socially engineered to send into, you know, sent into a couple of, I don't know. Are they called tweeties or tweeters or whatever the employees of a, of Twitter are called? Um, but you know, is that if that's a way where they can short circuit the potential separation of duties by social engineering attacks on two people, so that they kind of get around that separation? Like that's that's a concern, I would say straight away. But it, it sounds like it was maybe. Um, not I don't know the answer whether it was a you know deliberate thing from an insider or they were socially engineered I, f- from what Twitter says it's the second one that you know essentially the way in was through employees but through social engineering. so um, you know malicious attack but the the conduit or the way in was the the um, the employees but they, they, it's their second time around. you know 2017 you saw that um, yeah, it was the contractor. Uh, I think on their last day, uh, they popped uh, Trump's account or just disabled it, and you know it was only eleven minutes, but it, it sort of pointed to, you know, pointed to some potential problems with how that stuff was being managed way back then, three years ago. Yeah, it's,
1: I don't even think it's the second time. I won't out the person, but a, a friend who uh, who is in the security industry um, and uh, has a, one of the one of the OG accounts. Uh, was uh, actually hacked by the Russians a long time ago, many, many years ago, um, and turned all of his tweets into Russian and started tweeting in Russian on his behalf. Um, (laughs) And uh, it was really just to, to show that they could right and it was just to, yeah. to mess with it and um it was that was it they actually gave the account back and um and he still uses it today <laughs> but it's um it sort of showed that it, it could be done at any time is sort of i think the way that they were trying to show the world that you know be careful what you put out there and be careful of becoming a target as well so it's uh not the first time and probably unfortunately as you say may not be the last either
0: yeah, definitely. And and your example actually points to exactly the reason why you need those tools internally, right? To to get back accounts that have been, you know, taken over and, and some, you know, and transferred financially when somebody buys a, uh, an old account. So, you know, those tools need to exist. But um, yeah, I think Twitter's in for some pretty serious questioning lines from I would say like the industry, but also I mean the FBI, there's a bunch of agencies now that are involved that um yeah, I'm sure there's a lot of people at a high level in Twitter who are not sleeping so well right now.
1: Indeed. Well, uh, thanks for covering that and um, all things cybersecurity for the month of July. Um, I think it's been a great review. Uh, Looking forward in in three weeks' time on the 18th of August, we're going to celebrate, uh, the Get Cyber Resilient, uh, blog and website, uh, one year anniversary. And we're going to have a, a go live with the podcast on podcast Tuesday. So looking forward to that on Tuesday, the 18th. And, um, we'll open it up to listeners, um, ahead of time and at the time to, for a, as it's known in the industry, an AMA, ask me anything session. And, uh, and certainly look forward to our audience's questions. And, uh, hopefully we, uh, we'll be able to answer a few of them as well.
0: Yeah, that's exciting stuff. Actually, when you mentioned the uh, mentioned that, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm very much looking forward to that. Um, and I love the energy of, I think for me, anything live uh, is always mm-hmm. kind of fantastic. So yeah, definitely looking forward to that one. Terrific. Well, uh, good luck with the coming up interviews for uh, for the
1: coming weeks, and uh, look forward to seeing you live on Tuesday the 18th. Awesome. Thanks, Dan.
0: And that is a wrap for July. Lots going on in cyber as always. Thanks to Dan for hosting the episode. Thanks to Bradley for the insights. Please do dip into past archives. And if you like what you hear, we'd appreciate it if you subscribe and rate us. If there's a topic you want us to cover, please do drop us a line and let us know. For now, thanks for listening to the Get cyber Resilient podcast. And I look forward to catching you on the next episode.